Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In this next part of our exclusive special series with Michael Sikora, founder and director of the Socrates Project within the Reagan White House, we tackle the question, is a hot war with China inevitable? And if so, is the U.S. ready for it? Mike, thank you so much for joining us again. Great to see you again. Oh, it's my pleasure. So let's get to one of the topics I'm sure a lot of people are curious about, and that is a hot war between the U.S. and China specifically. So right now, how is that shaping up? Because many people seem to think it's inevitable. The reality is, if you look at the U.S., we are not prepared to go for a hot war. If you look at in terms of the Navy, there's a significant number of ships which are not battlefield ready. Okay. If we look at the Air Force, the Air Force is cannibalizing some of the older platforms to keep the new platforms up in the air and battle ready. If we look at the Marine Corps, which we've worked with, uh, they say that they basically have to wait, see what China's going to do, and hope like hell they can figure out how to fix it before it goes hot with them. One of the things the Marine Corps is doing as a result of that is that they are openly stated that they have to totally restructure the Marine Corps because this is basically totally new across the board. Now, one of the things that's so key about this is what China's national objective is. I mean, Chinese national objective is, as a lot of people now know, is to reclaim what they see is their rightful position as the center of the world with all other countries playing homage and citizens playing by the rules that they lay out. Okay. So that's not something small, that's not something that's going to go away. If you look at it, I mean, you can talk about the president and some people say, well, he may go out of power and therefore everything will be okay. That reclaiming it, he has played that and the administration there has played that such that uh, it's ingrained across the board. Or to put it in simple terms, we, China, it's so ingrained that has now become the position such that even if he goes away, and this is by design, it will continue to march forward. Now, if we talk about technology competitiveness or competitiveness, all competitiveness, as we've talked about ad nauseum, is based upon technology exploitation. And also, as we've talked about, China goes from a foundation of technology-based planning. They have a national technology strategy, and that national technology strategy is working across the board in all competitive environments, using the entire ecosystem, commerce ecosystem, offensive or uh, military and commercial, in order to acquire the required competitive advantage across the board. But here is sort of the key crux of the matter. China is not going to engage with us until they know they have the required competitive advantage. So even if we look at the Air Force, the Navy, which is now changing around, because in 2022, it was openly stated that the DOD budget, the Defense Authorization Act, was not sufficient to actually execute the National Defense Strategy in 2022. Now they've increased the funding. But even when we start putting more ships in play, we get more uh, aircraft in play and everything else, 
China is still generating the required competitive advantage in the technology space, which was below all that. And China is not going to engage until they know they have the competitive advantage. Now, here's the other crux of the matter. China has put in place, as we talked about before, they've had three decades to put in place direct and indirect paths into the full range of basically every country, into all major organizations, the consulting firms, such that via these paths, which now have been installed for many, many years, because as we talked about before, China knew at some point that their favored nation were becoming democratic, whatever, that veil of deception was going to drop. And as a result, they would be viewed for what they are, an adversary, a competitor. Because remember, for President Reagan, in the Socrates Project, we identified for President Reagan China as a threat. And this was in the late 80s. We identified the means that China was becoming a superpower faster than any country in history, technology-based planning. And we were on track to contain them. But everybody else was pushing them as a friend. So they had 30 years to put in place every path they needed both direct, indirect, through all the various countries, very overt, very covert, in order to acquire technology, in order to acquire other resources, in order to put the influence they needed, and to acquire the intel they needed. So going back to the main point, that means that they will continue to build their competitive advantage. Okay, And number two, they will know when they have the required competitive advantage. So even though some of these actions, like the CHIPS Act, like some of the other things, like increasing the DOD budget such that we can execute the national defense strategy, China's still chipping away, maneuvering in the technology space, and they're not going to engage until they have the required competitive advantage. So point being, is it inevitable? Yeah. Everything we're going to do right now is being done just delays that. And it will delay it until China knows they have the required competitive advantage, and then it will go hot. When we talk about a hot war, often it's in the context of, say, military or kinetic. But it seems in the past 30 years, maybe other areas were already in a hot war with China, maybe in cyber. How do you look at that? That's, that's a great point. because. We look at it as a hot war, as the only war there is. But if you look at the full, because remember, as we talked about, China's technology strategy is using the full range of assets of the competitive ecosystem of China with all the paths. They're addressing all competitive environments, military, commercial, cyber, or that's a domain, uh, social, all of that in a very, very holistic fashion. And for them, that's all war. That's unlimited war. Okay, so if you look at this unlimited war, what is happening is it was basically hot in other arenas like economic. It was hot in the social arena, TikTok. It was hot in some of the other things like what's coming across the southern border, because that's China-driven. So those are all hot. But because we look at things as fragmented, and because we don't look at it as war, 
It's just a problem. It is just business. It is just a social issue. Okay, then we don't see that as, as going hot. Going hot is left that last thing for a military war. But here's also the reality. One of the things about a technology strategy, because as we talked before, all competition has basically two layers to it. There's the technology foundation. That is where you out-exploit the competition and the exploitation of the technology in order to generate a competitive advantage. Because all competitive advantage is generated down there. Then it's into that competitive environment of military, commercial, social, psychological, and everything else. But it's all there. And let me just digress for a second. For that to be true, you've got to have the right, correct definition of technology. Technology is any application of science to accomplish a function. The science can be hard. The science can be soft. The, high, the science can be very radical quantum, or it can be moving pallets off the loading dock. It's all technology. And China is working in all of that. Now, one of the key things is that it's all done in a coherent fashion. In the one word that through this entire series we've been using, and we will continue to use, and when we get to one of the last, not the last one, but one of the next ones, because this is going to continue for a while, uh, ish, uh, sessions, is that word of coherency, unified coherent. See, that's what makes this all so dangerous and powerful, is that this is all being done in a coherent fashion. It's all being driven by their national technology strategy. So TikTok, southern border, fentanyl, all that's part of it. So going back to your point, we've already lost a lot of these hot wars, okay? And this is leading up to the military hot war. But although we talk about it being inevitable, there's actually another angle to it, which is if in a technology strategy, your real objective is to avoid the hot war, especially when it comes to the military. Because if you can properly outmaneuver the adversary, in this case, China and we're, we're the adversaries, in the technology exploitation, you never have to engage them directly. So if we look at fentanyl, well, you know, they're doing it in a roundabout way, so we're not engaging with them directly. If we look across to what's coming across the, so the southern border, we're not engaging them directly. Okay, same thing with TikTok and things like that. So in one dimension, they're beating us there with the idea that if they can weaken us enough, the hot war is going to be minimal, if any. Why? Because we have so weakened because of everything they've done in all the other competitive environments such that it really, we're not going to be willing to engage because we're just too bloody weak. We've got too many problems at home. At the same time, as we said in each one of the competitive environments, the objective is if you properly, if you effectively outmaneuver the adversary, us, in the technology space, how you exploit technology, guess what? It never goes hot. 
and that and that uh, that's also the case for the military. So you basically have in two dimensions all the other competitive advantage, uh, competitive environments beforehand build up to weakening us for the military. At the same time that in each case it's the maneuvering the technology which generates the competitive advantage up here in a way that if it's strong enough, this never happens. Both of those will come to bear at the end, where militarily they have a major competitive advantage, and number two, they've weakened us from the other perspectives, the other competitive environments, such that we're not going to go to war. Why? Because we know we're going to lose. The whole key in a technology strategy is to so overwhelming them, outmaneuvering them in the, in the technology space, the technology exploitation, such that the other guy has so little competitive advantage, if any, that he's not willing to engage. And I believe that's literally from that and that, if you can visualize it, is the bottom line of what China's objective is. Hot wars are messy. Hot wars you avoid at all case. Okay. And I'm sure China wants to avoid that. So if they can get us militarily weak by maneuvering in the technology space, if they can weaken us across all the other domains and the other competitive environments, we're not gonna we're not gonna be in a position to fight or willing to fight. That was Michael Sikora, founder and director of the Socrates Project within the Reagan White House. And after the break, we continue our exclusive special coverage with him on how China's use of unrestricted warfare plays a role in all of this and what the U.S. can do about it. That and more in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We continue our exclusive special coverage with Michael Sikora on how China's use of unrestricted warfare plays a role in all of this and what the U.S. can do about it. On that note, you did mention the unlimited war that China is waging, right? There's that famous book that many people like to reference, Unrestricted Warfare by the Two Colonels. And it seems in some ways it comes down to changing our perception, right? Because when it comes from the Chinese regime, all things, all soft power, hard power, can, they can all become a war. But we, don't, we in the West seem to only view it as kinetic or military. But it sounds like, right, China's already getting to the point where they can destroy the country, our country, from within without getting to that military step. Right. And it sounds like a lot of this has to do with psychology, because you mentioned even if Xi Jinping, the current Chinese leader, is removed, that mindset is still there. So how much does the psychology play into all of this? Like if we believe we're already going to lose, for instance. Well, this is, the, this is one of the important things about strategy. Every strategy, every element of strategy has two, two, two sides to it. What we call the physical sphere and the mental sphere. Okay, because in the physical sphere, you're actually doing something. You're exploiting technology, or in a military perspective, you are doing a frontal attack. Okay, but then there's the mental sphere. The mental sphere is how does the physical actions change the mindset of the adversary such that they change what they're going to do in the physical sphere which makes it easier for you to gain the competitive advantage. I'll give you a simple example. 
in a frontal attack, either in the military battlefield or in technology space. Because when we talk about technology strategy, we have determined within Socrates that four-dimensional technology space, where all competitive edge is generated, acts like you're on the military battlefield. So you can literally take the oldest science of mankind, which is military strategy, and meld that with technology space to come up with a set of technology strategy elements. So, let me explain. If we talk about you know, the physical and the mental sphere, if we talk about a frontal attack, a frontal attack from the physical dimension is you hit them where they're the strongest. Bam! Okay, you go head to head and you overwhelm them because you have such strength. But from the mental sphere, what you want to do is you want them to, to know that you hit them where they're the strongest. So they back down. Okay. So if in industry, if you're a company and your strength is low cost, you've got this technology which gives you low cost. You can produce plastics at 50, 50 cents a pound. And I come in and start selling them at 25 cents a pound because I've got this new miracle technology. You're going to lose, you're going to leave the market. If you're a subsidiary, you'll be closed down. If you're a company that has other product lines, you'll go over there because you know you can't compete. We've hit you right where your strengths are. Okay. Same thing with, and we sort of talked about it, a technology frontal attack. That is where you hit them in where they think they are the strongest, where they think that's their competitive advantage, which is a lot different than a technology flank or isolation maneuver and all the other ones. So when we talk about the psychological, that is, that's half of the technology strategy. It's not just maneuvering the technology. It is maneuvering in the technology such that we alter the mental sphere of the United States, maybe in China in this case, where they're altering the mental state of the United States such that they back down from certain competition. And that's occurring in the various competitive environments and including the um, uh, military competitive advantage. So that's, that's half the battle. And anybody that just, I mean, it's, it's like giving you an analogy, it's like playing chess, and you got your square board and all the things. To somebody that understands strategy, they're looking at the intricacy of it. Somebody who has no idea what strategy is says, so all you're doing is moving plastic pieces around a tablecloth from an Italian restaurant with all the squares on it. There's nothing there, okay? That's the difference. It is the strategy, it is to counter it that we have to address the underlying national technology strategy, which unifies all of it together. See, one of the things, and we're going to go into this in the next myth a little bit more, but one of the things that's key and it differentiates us from uh, the U.S. from in the Western NATO from uh, Asia and China, rather, is that we silo things, okay? China looks at it holistically, holistically in several respects. First of all, in terms of technology. We look at the high-tech, the critical, okay? They look at all technology as a continuum. High-tech to low-tech, soft to hard, critical to non-critical, okay? And when you look at it that way, then your strategy becomes one of very adroit maneuvering all of it where sometimes you gain major competitive advantage, sometimes you very, very minor. Sometimes you're exploiting quantum entanglement for encryption, and other times you are just figuring out how to get more fentanyl across the southern border. Okay, 
but all that's technology and it all fits into a unified, coherent strategy. You mentioned earlier, Mike, how even in the Reagan administration with Project Socrates, you already charted China's rise as a superpower and were looking at that as a big threat. This was in like the 80s when no one was really paying much attention to China. What were you looking at differently that put China on the map? Well, in Socrates, and I named the project uh, Socrates because we were looking for the bottom line truth, okay? Because in early 80s, we started in 83, U.S. was in a major decline, both economic and militarily. We needed to figure out what the problem was. And then our second part of our marching orders was to, once we understood what the underlying cause was, was to put in place what was required to ensure America's status as superpower generations. Okay. So what we had to do was to look at all competitors across the board and adversaries. Because we determined, first of all, cause of the problem, like we talked before, was the shift from technology, U.S. shift from technology-based planning to finance-based planning, number one, and that the adversaries and the competitors were using technology-based planning. The Soviets were using technology-based planning in the military and commercial, basically military, not commercial. Uh, Japan was using technology-based planning in the economic circles, which was kicking our butt, okay, cleaning our clock. But then we looked at China, and we saw t China was being very aggressive in their application of technology-based planning. They had a national technology strategy. We saw at that point in time that if that was left unchecked, they would become a superpower, a massive superpower, both economically and military. So in Socrates, and this comes back to the idea of looking at things holistically on a, on a single continuum, is when you look at the entire world of competition, all forms, military, commercial, counterterrorism, terrorism, everything, social, every, every, every aspect, or very uh, competitive environments, and you look at all technology across the board as a single continuum, and then you start looking at the countries and the organizations, because they're all maneuvering in there, it's very easy to see which ones are technology-based, number one, and number two, you can see where they're going in the, in the uh, long term. I mean, one of the things about a technology strategy is that predates a marketplace emergence, it predates the battlefield. So when you lay out a country's technology strategy, like China, you can see what they plan on doing and achieving today, tomorrow, going up 5, 10, 20 years. Okay. So when we laid out China's technology strategy, national technology strategy, we saw so much of what's now happening was being planned in their technology strategy 20, 30 years ago. I mean, that's, that's one of the frustrations, is that everything that is now coming to play, and people are saying, nobody knew it, we don't know how it happened. From, us, from our point of view, it was very, very obvious back in the 80s. None of this is a surprise to us, in terms of how they've done it, what they're doing, what the results is, the competitive advantage they're generating, and what the final outcome is.
Mike, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. That was Michael Sikora, founder and director of the Socrates Project within the Reagan White House. And now that we've covered the U.S. military competitiveness and readiness for a hot war, be sure to tune in next week for the next part in this exclusive special series, where we'll tackle the topic of what the sole key weapon for the future is, if there is one, and China's place in that race.